Rebecca! Hi, Mark. How's it going? I'm doing super. How are you today? I'm great. Great. We, we haven't talked for so long. I know. It's been a while. Yeah, well, about six weeks ago, because I had to look up the date to figure this out, we recorded our podcast called Eating Our Own Dog Food. We, we thought we were going to make it through the framework, but we got through six boxes. <laughs> We can chat. We can. We can. And so today we're going to pick that back up. In fact, we had asked people to give us feedback and say, should we continue this? Should we not? And I was amazed at the quality of the feedback we got on that last podcast. I think people really like to see, um, I think they like stories in general of sort of the framework and our methodology in action. And then I think it's nice when we can share a little bit about ourselves and um, as the people who teach this, how we use it ourselves, uh, both the good and the bad. Yeah, I listened to that twice, and I have to say that I'm so impressed with how honest we are, or you are, I guess, in terms of, hey, we're not perfect. We don't do these things ideally every time. We certainly try, and we try and do our best, but just like every company we teach, you know, there's limited resources. And so things that you know you need to do, some of it ends up dropping, and it's just really trying to prioritize what you let go and focusing on the things that are really critical and doing those well. And then just keep trying to add more stuff as you go on. But I also have to point out that I enjoy the fact that you like to listen to yourself on podcasts <laughs> more than once. It's, I just picture you driving around, Jake the dog next to you, listening to yourself talk. And it, it amuses me. It's actually you I'm listening to. Oh, well, then that makes sense. <laughs> For our listeners, in case you didn't hear the first one, the boxes that we went through, well, we started with gap analysis. We talked about how Pragmatic does gap analysis, and then we made it through market problems, win-loss, distinctive competencies, user personas, and buyer personas. So if you want to go back and listen to that one, I I thought it was good. Maybe I'll listen a third time. Who knows? <laughs> but, I, but I have to be honest, I'm a little nervous about today's because in some of these boxes that we're going to talk about it almost feels like we may be sharing too much. Well, you know, there's always a line, but we'll uh, we'll share everything we can, and hopefully not more than that, but not less. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, we don't embarrass ourselves or something. Right. Then we won't listen to it again, though. So. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's jump in. First box. Let's talk about competitive landscape. Hmm. Now, first, here's what we teach in classes, if you care. We teach that we need to go out and analyze our competition, know who our competitors are. And in general, we teach you don't talk about your competitors a whole lot because it rarely do our customers say, oh, oh, I need to compare you to your competition until later in the sales cycle. So early in the sales cycle, it's about us and our problem-oriented features and the things we do well. And maybe later we'll start to talk in sales about how we are better than our competitors. So yeah, so I'm going to practice what we preach here and not talk about our competitors. <laughs> but I can, I mean, I, I will say that we, uh, we actually don't run into competitors very frequently in sales. We certainly do, uh, but it's not you know, necessarily common. Someone I know teaches a, a will I or which one product and hmm. often training. Uh, he's a good guy. You should meet him sometime. Uh, yeah. But we do fall a little bit into the will I do training category. So we don't often um, have competitors in our in our deals, but we certainly do. And regardless of how often we see them, we do watch them, right? We do look at them. What are they charging? What are they offering? How are they positioning themselves? Kind of making sure that we monitor what we do by also not 
obsessing about them. I think that can be a real weakness that companies have where they're, they're so focused on the competitors and chasing the competitors that they're not watching the market, right? So you're just following perhaps the bad mistakes they've made and you're, and you're, and you're just sort of mimicking them. Um, whereas that energy can be way better spent focusing on the market and what the core problems are. But you certainly, you want to be aware, you don't want to be naive, you don't want to miss uh, a disruptive innovation that comes in at um, left field. That's kind of, I always think of that as every VP of marketing and VP of products worst nightmare is just to have missed it. So one day there's this giant competitor and you didn't see it coming because it didn't necessarily follow the path. Um, you know, they, they didn't look like you from the beginning. I, I think you talk a lot, this a lot with Yahoo versus Google, right? Yahoo had yes. the, the key search engine. No one was going to do it better with them the way they had the, the people doing it and all of those things were so dialed in, no one could beat them at that game. But what they missed is that Google could come in and do it via algorithms and do a totally different model to solve that same thing. And that's another thing that we want to not just look at our competitors that look a lot like us, but make sure that we're watching the landscape for things that might come from a different perspective. Yes. The, one of the examples I use in class often is Amazon versus Barnes and Noble. Mm, yep. And, and the fact that Barnes and Noble could have been Amazon. Yep. But they were looking at borders. Exactly. They were right? looking at a different set of competitors. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really interesting. I think we have an advantage over a lot of companies because of that whole will I, which one conversation that you brought up. When I first presented the price class to pragmatic marketing, I'd asked in that room, what percent of your customers compare us to competition and what percent just buy from us as a will I? And the answer I got back was 85%. I'm sure it's an estimate. I'm sure we don't measure that. But 85% of people say, yeah, I'm just going to buy pragmatic because, well, everybody else has pragmatic. And what that means to me is that we don't face a, a lot of competition. We're not really up against competitors all the time. Maybe that gives us as, a, as an organization the ability to not or or maybe gives us the impetus to not over focus on competition. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the exact percentage is. It's probably, you know, somewhat lower than that, but it is, is a pretty significant amount of deals where we don't have competitors, not just because everybody else bought us, Mark, but because, you know, we're, we're proven, right? We work. We have decades of experience doing this. We've taught 8,000 companies. We've put our model in sizes of companies of all different sizes and shapes and industries. And it's a, there's a lot of knowledge that it works. And I, and I think it's a, it's a good decision it's a safe decision to some extent, but, uh, um, but yeah, it does mean too, that we're not, we don't have to look, you know, we're not Coke and Pepsi where I have to over monitor them. I keep an eye on them. So we stay smart. Uh, but we can spend some of that energy we have, cause we, like we said, everyone has limited resources focused more on the market than on, uh, you know, competitors in the space. Yes. And thanks for cleaning up my poor choice. <laughs> I mean, that's why you're not in marketing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yet I stand in front of rooms and tell people. Right. Well. <laughs> okay. Let's let's jump to the box right below competitive landscape and talk about asset assessment. There's a lot of S's in that box. There are. So first off, let me tell you what asset assessment is when we teach it. And then we'll talk about, does it make sense? Do we do it? How do we do it? An asset assessment is someone in our organization is regularly watching all of the things that we have 
Um, we've already built in, we already, we already have in our house, it uh, could be technologies, it could be content, whatever it is that we have already. And then is there a way to repurpose that relatively inexpensively so we could create new products and, and go to market, reach new, maybe even new market segments? That is a really good question. So I think I I could think of this two different ways. Um, Back in 2013, we really looked at our overall uh, portfolio of classes. um, And we had this course called Practical Product Management and Essential Product Marketing was another course. Um, and, And we realized that the way we had built out our products kind of siloed some of our information really tied to specific tasks. So if you wanted to learn about this framework that really was the foundations for both product management and product marketing, the way we had set up our courses, you had to go through a course called, you know, practical product management before you could then go to effective product marketing because you needed that foundational piece. Well, it's kind of hard to get approval for your boss. Like for me, if I went to to my boss, Jim, and I said, Jim, I really need this training. It's called how to be a great plumber but trust me, I'm going to learn a ton that's useful, like that's going to be a harder sell. And we were asking them to do product marketing groups to do that because we tied our courses to titles and and some other pieces like that. We made everything two days and it wasn't as sort of flexible as our clients were looking for. Um, So we took that opportunity to really look and say, okay, so we're going to re- assess our portfolio. We're going to reorganize it so that it's driven not by titles, um, but by deliverables, right? So you could figure out exactly what are you responsible for or what are you struggling with most and really pick and choose which courses you go to so you could target right on that. And in order to do that, Mark, we sat, we brought, um, brought two of our instructors in. Uh, they worked with our CEO and founder, our president at the time, and they printed every single slide we'd ever built for a course, right? So that wasn't just the, the five active courses we had then. There were several retired courses. There were older versions of courses and they printed every slide we ever did, right? And so there's this room, for, we had a, a new building we had, a big empty room and they sat there and they looked at all of the content that we created, sort of all of the concepts that we've taught and built up and really try to figure out which ones were the best which ones were going to be the, the, you know, the things we definitely, the core tenants we wanted to teach, and then what made sense to package them. So this was a, I think in some ways that was a, an effort in asset assessment that I think people can be very familiar with, right? So what features do I have? How could I repackage those together into a product that's more modern or more targeted, more specific? So I think that's, that's one way. Before you go to the next one, let me, let me just say that that's almost precisely what we teach, Maybe people tend not to kill the old products as they bring out new products, but we just took a look at everything we did and say, what would the best products for the market segments that we serve be for us? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we didn't go out and recreate everything from scratch. That was really good. No, and we definitely, I mean, we obviously had new content in there as well, but, and then we still have some, some really good nuggets that we've taught in the past that we all are really excited about seeing how we could bring those out in another form, right? Maybe it's a online course, maybe it's another regular course, but but some of those other concepts still have legs too. But I also think it's important, another thing that we teach when you think about asset assessment and the reason it was changed to asset assessment versus technology assessment, right? Is you shouldn't just think about your code and your features. You think about your whole organization. So what else are you good at, right? We're really good at putting on live training events. 
super good. So one of the things you have to ask yourself is what else can you do with that skill set? We're very good at, uh, this sounds odd coming from me, but we're very good at marketing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I think we're very good at teaching too. Is that okay? Right. Yes. Yeah. So now we pat ourselves on the back, you know, these market Rebecca guys, they are great. Um, No, but we're, we have a good channel for talking to product groups right? How else can we leverage that? And I think that's an important part as we go forward to look at the, the, the totality of the assets we have and the things that we're really good at and figuring out how we can leverage those to expand. Yeah. So if you think about it, we've trained in, in the room, I stand up and say, we've trained 150,000 people in pragmatic marketing. That the, the implication is we have an email list that is probably huge filled with product teams. What an asset that is. Right. Yes. And we have a lot of uh, brand recognition and brand trust within those groups because, you know, we've worked hard to build that up. We have great courses. We've great materials. We're very thing. And so we have that reputation and that um, market awareness and connection that, that that's a definite asset. Yeah. I like to think of it as we've helped a lot of people get promoted. Yep. Yeah. We've helped a lot of people get promoted, a lot of products succeed. And uh, I think all of us here the most excited we get is when we get the emails from people that talk about um, how they leveraged what they learned from us to build their career. It means a lot to us uh, as an organization, and we try really hard not to forget that that's why we're here. As as our uh, CEO is fond of saying, we are not here to teach. We are here so that they learn. Awesome. Okay. Great answers on asset assessment. Here's one that I'm I've, I'm really anxious to hear your answers to. Market definition. Mm. As we all know, Craig started this company, and at least the story I heard, he didn't think there were going to be very many people who needed the type of training he was doing. And yet lots and lots of people started asking for it and wanting it. And it's interesting that it comes out of enterprise software. And we, and we thought at the time, hey, we're an enterprise software training organization. And that just started expanding to new markets. Okay, I'll define it now. Markets, when we call markets inside pragmatic marketing, we we say they're companies with a common set of characteristics. So we would usually say something like enterprise software is a market, not a market segment. And we would call a market segment companies with a common set of problems. And usually we imagine that market segments sit inside markets. But it almost sounds to me our markets sit inside our market segments. I think that's a great way of looking at it, Mark. And I think that's exactly true. All of these companies need market-driven products, have struggled with the opposite of that, right? Being very internal driven and they've seen that problem. So they need as a company and within their product teams uh, to switch their thinking and they need uh, sort of a blueprint or a, a framework structure to do that. And th- that's consistent across everyone we talk to, right? At now, our majority of our clients are SaaS software clients. And, and you know, we've, we've taught a bunch of them. We, we, we know a lot about them. But that fundamental problem, right, is that they need to build products that their market wants. And that's true. I mean, there isn't really a company in the world that that's not what they need to do. Yes. In class or during breaks, I'm often asked the question, do we get many consumer goods companies mm-hmm. coming through? 
And I love telling the story of the Steve Jobs interview in the late 1990s. It's part of the lost interview. If someone wants to go look this up on YouTube, they can find it. But he was asked, what was your biggest mistake? And he said, hiring Scully. Now, you may know that Scully's the guy who fired him. And so, yeah, maybe they're sour grapes. And he goes, no, 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 it isn't that. It's the fact that Scully came from Pepsi. And if you want to be great at consumer goods products, you have to be great at marketing. But if you want to be great in a high tech company, it's all about the product. The product is constantly changing and evolving. And that's essentially what we talk about constantly is, is how do you think about evolving the product, both on the left side of the framework and the right side of the framework? We're already 20 minutes into this. Can we do one more box before we end this? We absolutely can do one more box. Let's do, let's do launch plan. Mm, I love that. Plan. How do we think about launch plans? Do we, uh, well, go ahead. Let's hear. So I think, um, so we've done two big, big launches since I've been here and lots of other launches. <laughs> so again, in 2013, when we reorganized and restructured our portfolio, that was obviously a very big launch, right? All yes. new courses, teaching everyone. Um, and then the next year, what we decided to do was offer another course called pricing. Perhaps you have heard of it. I might have. Might might have heard of the price course. Mm -hmm. So those are, are kind of the, the traditional idea of a launch, right? Like um, a big product or a big new thing and you have a, a, a good frame. And we did a, a very good job, I think, of of eating our own dog food in this case. So we went through the launch strategies and said, okay, so with this course, who is our, what is our main target? Are we trying to get more share of wallet from our existing customers? Or is this the, the, the tool that we're using to get into new markets? And it's really easy as a company to be like, well, yes, I'd like to do all seven of those things mm -hmm. with this new piece. I mean, because ideally that's kind of your, your hope, right? That's your dream for any new product is it your existing customers are going to buy more, competitive customers are going to come flying, and new people that never thought to buy your product are going to come in. But you really have to, again, prioritize because everybody's got limited resources and, and you really want to focus on that and focus as an organization around what your biggest piece was. So we definitely did that with both of those. And I think that was important because then we knew what metrics to track, right? So our biggest thing when we did our rebranding in 2013, the first priority was our existing customers. Make sure that we um, that they understood the connection, that we didn't have any fallout from it, and that they saw the opportunity to sort of expand their relationship with us by working through the, the curriculum. Uh, so that was our primary one, which also meant that we knew what metrics we had to watch, right? Um, so we used to do a two-day course followed by a single-day course, and now we were doing three single-day courses. Well, you know, Mark, it would be bad if the, most people only bought one course, right? If our average number of days that an attendee attended went down, uh, perhaps we didn't market this very well. We didn't explain it very well, right? So it just allowed us to identify that. You could look at um, your existing accounts, year-over-year -year purchases, but it really allowed you to figure out which metrics you wanted to watch, which allowed you also to figure out what goals you wanted to set. And then when everybody knows the metrics you're going to watch and the goals you're working towards, then you can really work backwards towards what do I need to accomplish those goals? How much time do I need? What resources I need? Kind of work backwards. And we do have the advantage of a little bit more flexibility in time. We were, both of those were done from a position of strength, right? We didn't have a, we weren't broken. We hadn't pre-announced that we were doing something new. So we had no outward pressure for uh, a certain date which does mean particularly with the, the, the 
platform um, sort of reorganization, you know, we the very first meeting we said we were going to launch in July. We had not specified what year, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we went from like, we're going to do all this in six months to a year and a half. And we had that flexibility to do that, which I think um, I know not everybody has, but was a really big advantage because we had the option, you know, we didn't have to change scope or quality. We had the ability to change time in that triad. Um, so we did that and we built out our marketing plans. We did a lot about organizational readiness, training, uh, making sure our systems were ready to catch it, making sure our finance was ready to, to invoice for it, making sure sales was ready to sell it, uh, making sure events team was ready to, to um, host the events and to do it that way. And of course, the instructors. So that launch, when we reorganized the course structure, that was essentially a bet the company type launch. We were changing everything. We took the old courses away. Well, that sounds really scary when you say it that way. Uh, we um, we did take the old courses away. We did not take the concepts away, right? We still teach the framework. We still teach market-driven. A lot of the um, – we refresh the content and the delivery of it, but the concepts were the same, and we know those worked. And so for people, it felt – Familiar, but upgraded, right? It, it wasn't like, and now we decided that market-driven is really a bad idea. And what you <laughs> should do is, you know, use the magic eight ball. Um, so there so, but it was a risk. Absolutely. Yes. Well, and, and when you contrast that to say the price course, when we launched that, that was incremental product to us. Yes. So we already had, we already had the programs up and running. People were accepting the new business, the new model. Now let's add something new into that. Yep. So it was so. less risky. Um, we did make it part of the core portfolio though, right? We, we, we brought it into the fold, right? We made it mm -hmm. one of the six. It wasn't, here's the five and then we've got another one. So we wanted it to succeed and we certainly wanted to build a model that would be um, repeatable. But it was less risky because it was an add-on. And, and honestly though, it also was less risky or um, not less risky but th than the other, but... It, it didn't feel risky to us because we just had so much market evidence that a course on this topic was desired, wanted, needed, that there was, there's a ton of confidence when you're going in and making decisions based on uh, an abundance of market data. And that's true on the product side, like with the price course, and it's true on the market side. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to spend my money? When you have that information, it just doesn't feel as risky. It just kind of feels like, well, of course we're going to do this. Wow, that's pretty fascinating. And of course, the price course was brilliant, done by a brilliant guy, which made it even better. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It actually is really good, though. So if people haven't been there, they should, should go. Should we make sure everybody knows who created it? I think they probably could guess. <laughs> 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 but yes, no, it was Mark's course. And actually, um, you know, he came to deliver the course to, to myself and our CEO and our president and our head of sales at the time. And just for us to sort of um, take a look at it and see if we thought it was good, right? That was, that was kind of what it was. And it was maybe, maybe 45 minutes into the course and we're, we've switched from sort of adjudicators of whether this is good to straight out students, right? We're interrupting, we're having conversations. We're like, oh, and if we did that concept here, it would look like this. Like we were having the aha moments as students. Um, we were going through that process. And, and so when once that happened, you're like, yep, this is it. This is a great course. 
Well, thank you. I, I loved that day. That was a fascinating day for me too. So, okay. I think we have to end it here. We've taken this one a little bit long to our listeners. I, I certainly hope you learned something today. I'm sure Rebecca hopes the same. Absolutely. And, and, and after all, we want you guys to succeed, uh, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes. Absolutely. And as always, we want to hear from you. Please send any comments to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. And if you want us to continue and finish out the framework, drop us a note or two and say, yep, that was worthwhile. Let's do it again. Or yeah, probably getting old. Let's stop that and go do something different. <laughs> Please join us next time for the next episode of Pragmatic Live. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Rebecca.